One Hit Wonders of the World listeners, it's Bad News Maxton, back with your bad news. I want to apologize for the delay on this episode, it's been a hectic month. I had to move across the country, and I just got a new job, and I'm acclimating to it, and it's kind of leaving me with a lot less free time. Uh, And because of that, I don't feel good about calling this a weekly podcast anymore, but I'm going to get you episodes as much as I possibly can. It just might not be every week anymore. Also, about a half hour into this episode, the recording of my voice was damaged for unknown reasons to me. I've been trying to fix it, but it's not really sounding much better. So about a half hour into the episode, my voice starts to get all crackly. It's a little annoying. But I hope you'll bear with us because I think this is a wonderful episode. That's it for the bad news. Thanks for waiting. Thanks for listening. Here's episode five. Episode five. Cinco. Hello. Welcome back to One Hit Wonders of the World after an extended absence. I said at the beginning of the year that we'll be doing episodes every Monday for the next five years. But the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. Yes, they do. I apologize for the extended leave of absence. It's mostly my fault. I have been moving back to South Carolina. I've been working for the past six days straight. This was one of the first times we could all get here and record an episode for you guys. First episode live from Charleston now. We're here with a guest from L.A. Please say hello to our friend Malcolm Wiley, a.k.a. Super Chunk, here in the online studio with us today. How are you doing, Malcolm? Uh, I got a candle, you know, the mood is set, so... Yeah, there you go. How's it smelling in there? Uh, what is this? Eucalyptus mint. Lovely. That smells very rustic. There you go. All right, episode five. Today we're here... To tell you who let the dogs out. You are going to discover who let the dogs out. And the whole 30 plus year history of the Baja men. Let's just jump right in. Opinions and experiences. Trevor, how about you start it? Obviously, I've heard this song before. Yes. I want to say that I first heard it on radio disney are you aware of what that was like if i say that you're familiar with that that's that's a thing people know about yeah i know radio disney and uh i I believe malcolm is also at least probably vaguely familiar this came out in 2000 i could have sworn it was earlier than that nope 2000 i was listening to radio disney when i was 10 years old i guess that's a little embarrassing um (laughs) that's not embarrassing no that's okay that's an appropriate age to be listening to radio disney i honestly don't know I think you can get a Radio Disney pass until you're 13. Yeah. I remember that it was in um, the Rugrats movie where they go to Paris, right? It was in Rugrats in Paris. Yes, yeah. it was. Okay, okay. But now it really just makes me think of the time I spent working in a doggy daycare. Oh, yeah? What was that What, what was that place called? I'll refer to it as Downtown Dog. <laughs> okay, kind of a, cool. I remember now. Yeah. That was the worst job I've ever had. It was the uh, job I took to kind of move to California. Like, it was the one I, you know, that got me here. So I'll always be thankful to it for that. But other than that, it was... It was... Not for much else. Living nightmare every time I stepped through those doors. It was just a horrible job. Like, imagine a giant indoor area, kind of like the size of a small park, 
with just like just like gated off and like anywhere from a dozen to like 25 dogs like big dogs just trying to kill each other all the time uh. nonstop and me being the <laughs> only thing there to stop them from doing that it wasn't fun you were the one keeping the dogs in exactly so this song not about me <laughs> <laughs> hey malcolm where where did you first hear who let the dogs out you know what i almost feel like it's one of those things where it just just kind of appears mm-hmm. and it's just there and it's like oh okay well this is a thing now we've talked about that a few times it was probably on a tv commercial some i don't think it was for this specific album maybe like those you know those now compilation cds maybe something like that yeah it definitely made its way onto one of those at some point yeah in time. Yeah. yeah there's no way that it didn't i think that there may not have been a song as ubiquitous as this one during my entire childhood with the sole exception of Hey Ya. Hey Ya would definitely be in the same <laughs> class, yeah. And you know, like, like, happy birthday. <laughs> yeah. Like, honestly, thinking about songs in my life, I would group Who Let the Dogs Out in with stuff like that more than other pop music because it is just that much of a societal thing for me. And I think most people, I mean, j- can you count the amount of shirts you've seen in your entire life that said this or something like this on it? How many big dog shirts? It was really like, you know, kind of a meme before memes were even a thing, wasn't it? Yes! I'm remembering those big dog shirts now. And I know, I remember I yeah. owned like two or three because they used to have a store at the Long Beach Town Center. Yeah. I know that my mom bought them for me. It was like one where it was like the, the cover of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. It was like Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fur. So early 2000s. Yeah. People were buying those shirts by the book. I remember they had those like those shirts with the dogs like on bikes and stuff. Those shirts were moving. They still sell them. I mean, that business is a, is a client of the company I work for. They needed to know how much they could get for all their assets that they had to liquidate. On a semi-annual basis, yeah. Hey, guys. This is the episode with our very first fan submission a fan wrote into our email one hit wonders of the world at gmail.com all spelled out and we're gonna play what he has to say about who let the dogs out right that's now. so cool it feels like we're really making it yeah right people are listening they're out there hearing us people are listening and they're <laughs> responding to us it's really cool and like please thank you for all your emails there was someone who sent in a really awful cover of spirit in the sky that me and Trevor listened to earlier tonight yeah that was that a was journey hilarious that was that was so trip. bad nightmare of a cover for now let's get into this voice submission real quick hey max and trevor and the entire one hit wonders of the world listener base i am michael in these past episodes that you guys have been covering i have not had much to say about the songs because they weren't really a part of my life until much later on but who let the dogs out specifically the baja men i have a very storied history with them you might only know the Baja Men for the obvious, but I also have a background with not one, but two other songs oh. by them. 
Uh, they're called Can You Move It Like This? Okay. And the Best Years of Our Lives. Exactly. Wikipedia tells me that Move It Like This was used uh, to promote the film Big Fat Liar yes! starring Paul Giamatti. <laughs> But I have never seen that film in my oh, life, so I have uh, no idea where I learned this. Dude, song. you gotta watch Big Fat Liar. We were just talking about Paul Giamatti too. But best years of our lives, I know exactly where I know that song from, uh, from the home release of the first Shrek movie. Yes. And, uh, and thinking about that, it reminds me that I have a similar relationship to a song by Aaron Carter called Leave It Up To Me from the VHS release of the Jimmy Neutron movie that they made before they made the actual television series (laughs) that was vastly more successful. All three of these songs are beautiful gems of late 90s, early 2000s pop music that has not aged well (laughs) at all. Again, Max and Trevor, thank you so much for the show and thanks for opening up the lines for listeners to give their perspectives on the songs as well. Keep up the great work. Wow, that was really nice. What a professional young man. I'm not going to lie. I can't think off the top of my head whether it's best years or best days of our lives, but that song was a jam. I remember it specifically. Yeah, I totally forgot about Move It Like This. Top comment on this video. They better put this song in Smash Bros. when Shrek is DLC. (laughs) Thank God that the Baja Men, Shrek, and Smash Bros. communities have all united in this beautiful YouTube comment. I really want to know, though, what made the people that were putting the soundtrack together for Shrek be like, you know what would be great for this movie about, like, medieval characters? is a song by the Baja Man. Absolutely. Get them on the phone. And guess what? The music video is spliced with shots from Shrek. Was this at, like, the very end? (laughs) Oh, this one. The auto-tune. I don't remember this. I remember the horn line, though. Very sweet. Remember that. All right. Interesting. I love how every song like around this era had to incorporate like a random DJ scratch in there at some point. <laughs> yeah, late nineties, early two thousands were the halcyon days of DJ scratching. It could have been like a Natasha Bedingfield song. DJ scratching. Oh my god, not only do I remember Leave It Up To Me by Aaron Carter, but I had a VHS of Jimmy Neutron, Boy Genius, the movie, and after the movie ended, this music video played. Completely remember this. I don't remember this one. I only remember it because of the music video. I hate this. (laughs) 
His voice is really annoying. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I loved the song as a kid. Doesn't do it for me anymore, unfortunately. He sounds okay, and I, I'll talk more about this on the Aaron's Party episode. He sounds noticeably. Oh God, we're gonna have to talk about Aaron's Party. Yeah, we gotta talk about Aaron's Party. <laughs> but he sounds noticeably deeper here than in Aaron's Party. Oh, this is the part of this music video I definitely remember with a virtual Aaron Carter dancing alongside a real life Aaron Carter. And All right, let's get let's get onto the bottom. <laughs> <then. laughs> right. Enough of Aaron, Michael. Thank you so much for your submission to One Hit Wonders of the World. Please write us again if if we ever doing something else that you're passionate about. Uh, appreciate your submission a lot. Okay, so. To jump into the backstory of this one, we're going to rewind further from 2000, and actually further past the formation of this band, all the way to traditional... Ancient times? Maybe maybe not ancient times, but definitely to traditional Bahamian culture. Okay. Let me teach you a little bit about Junkanoo. We're starting on square one. We are starting on square one. I'm going to teach you everything about the Bahamut. Junkanoo... <laughs> is a street parade with music, dance, and costumes of Aiken origin in many towns across the Bahamas every Boxing Day and New Year's Day. Dances are choreographed to the beat of goatskin drums and cowbells. The largest Jukanu parade happens in the capital, Nassau, in New Providence. This type of dancing is also performed in the Bahamas on Independence Day and other historical holidays. I have, I think, three conflicting origin stories about the origins of Jukanu. I'm going to do the first one. The festival may have originated several centuries ago when slaves on plantations in the Bahamas celebrated holidays granted around Christmas time with dance, music, and costumes. After emancipation, the tradition continued and Jukanu evolved from simple origins to a formal organized parade with intricate costumes, themed music, and official prizes within various categories. The second source I have says... Junkanoo, a joyous percussive music traditionally played on goatskin drums and cowbells, originates from colonial times when slaves were permitted to gather together one day in the week and celebrate. And in the third one, Junkanoo music is rooted in a traditional Caribbean music form that came about when West Indian slaves implemented rhythms from their native Africa to create a type of secret code based in tapping and humming. The rhythms developed into an effective communication tool of which the slave masters were not aware, and the slaves subsequently organized a successful uprising and revolt through the use of their rhythmic Jukanoo communication. I think the third origin story is by far the coolest and the one that I sincerely hope is the truth, because that's some dope shit right there. The domestic dog is a member of the genus Canis. <laughs> Which no! forms part of the wolf-like no! kings and is the most widely abundant terrestrial carnivore. The dog and the extant gray wolf are sister taxa, as modern wolves are not closely related to the wolves that were first domesticated. Damn it, Trevor. Which implies that the direct ancestor of the dog is extinct. All right. So now you know what Jukanu is and you know what dogs are. I was really wondering. Two can play this game. 
The Bahamian music and dance tradition of Juganu is fused with the modern influences of dance rhythms, pop music, and Latin percussion by multi-instrumentalist Isaiah Taylor and his band, The Baja Men. What's up, Isaiah? Yeah, what's going on, Isaiah? He is, I think, the only member, or one of the only members, to be in The Baja Men from its formation in, like, the late 70s until the present day. So the group is kind of a rotating door of members? Yeah, I'll get to this later, but there have been quite a few Baja men. Mm. (laughs) Isaiah Taylor, he was born and raised in the Bahamas, and he formed the band and originally called it High Voltage in the early 80s to pursue his vision of updating the indigenous Jukunu music of his home island and bringing it to a wider international audience. Even though, by his own admission, he disliked studying music as a student and kind of failed to cultivate like a refined ear for music when he was younger. Although as a child, he dreamt all night that he would one day start a Junkanoo band of world-class renown. Discussion question, truth or bullshit? I could see this guy thinking he was the chosen one. Yeah. How about you, Malcolm? I think anybody that names their band high voltage or like, (laughs) that's like the go-to, like their very first name. Like, yeah, I'm starting a band high voltage. That's what it is. I feel like they have all the yeah. confidence in the world, so yeah. They actually didn't even change their name to the Baja Men until a record label they signed with in the early 90s made them change their name. <laughs> we'll get to it, though. Do you think this song could have been a hit if it was by High Voltage instead of the Baja Men? Ooh, good question. I have my doubts. Me too. I'm skeptical. I don't know if High Voltage could have had a one-hit wonder. Baja Men had the personality for it. I don't know if High Voltage you know, would have had the personality for it. And, you know, the name just goes with the whole experience so well. I think it almost contributes to it. Yeah. You know? They're the Baja Men. You don't need to ask questions about them. You know who they are. You know what's crazy, though, is that you were talking about Isaiah a second ago. Yes. As long as I've known about the existence of the Baja Men, I have never known, like, any of their individual names. And like I said, there are a fucking shitload of Baja Men. Like, there are, there's a of Baja men. We got Baja men coming out of the woodwork. <laughs> <laughs> but I digress. Isaiah became a local celebrity in the Bahamas with the release of several cassettes that fused his Jukanoo sound with Latin rhythms and pop melodies to create quote-unquote irresistible party music. Glad you threw some quotes around that. Yeah. And then in 1991, one of their tapes found its way to Atlantic Records A&R man Steve, Steve Greenberg, Greenberg, who signed the band to the Big Beat subsidiary, at the same time getting them to change their name to The Bahamas. First of all, Steve Greenberg is a character that we're going to run into a lot during the story. And second of all, he's just... Steve Greenberg is the name of someone who works in the music industry. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. Like, it's just... it Like, duh, of course it is. That's Greenberg from A&R. Exactly, though. Everybody knows Greenberg. Everyone knows Greenberg from A&R. So, once they changed their name to the Baja Men, they released their first album under that name, Jukanu. Original. Named after the genre... Uh, in 1992, and that album includes the local hit Back to the Island. We need to go back. 1994, the Baja Men's second record under that name came out, Calic, and it included an international hit, Dancing in the Moonlight. The album title is a word that describes the clanging toll of the Jukanoo cowbell, Calic. Sounds annoying. In 1997, uh, the band moved with Greenberg to Polygram and released the album I Like What I Like. And in 1998, their uh, their next album, Doomspank. I don't know which of those two titles I like better. <laughs> right. Doomspank. 
I almost feel like they're pulling album names out of a hat. Like, I mean, just wait till the next one. Unfortunately, Doom Spank only sold 700 copies in the United States. And so, really? Yeah. <laughs> I wonder why. Huh. That's, that's really? a head scratcher. Man, if I ran that label, I would have dropped yeah, that. And, and that is what happened to them after <laughs> they only sold wow. 700 copies. Great job, A&R Trevor. They'll never have a hit. We'll never hear of the Baja Manager. <laughs> <laughs> but even though they were tanking in the U.S., they were pretty big in Japan, achieving platinum sales levels. And they had proven themselves to be an excellent concert draw in that country as well. It's always Japan. It's always just fucking Japan. It's always Japan. That's why when you see like on albums, when they have bonus tracks, they're always like Japan bonus tracks. Or something like that. Because in Japan, if they love you, they love you. That and I learned about this somewhere. Can't remember where. In Japan, prices of CDs that are made in Japan are higher than the prices of CDs made outside Japan. And so mm. to encourage made in Japan CD ordering, a lot of manufacturers will include bonus tracks just for Japan to get them to buy the Japanese editions instead. I didn't know that. Hey, what happens in Japan stays in Japan, right? <laughs> nope. No, it doesn't. Goes to the rest of the world. They have the internet just like everyone else. I've seen things from Japan. They didn't stay in Japan. I think we've all seen um, things from Japan. In 1999, the Baja Men released their fifth album, 2000, which was only released in Japan at first. Um, <laughs> like I said. Pulling album names out of a hat for sure. Well, it's not like that was going to be the year or anything. Meanwhile, in their native Bahamas, the National Tourism Agency picked up the Bahamens' old single, Back to the Islands, as a background for Bahaman tourism <laughs> commercials. Of course. We need to go back. And the group appeared with American pop group, Hanson. Those boys. Yeah, they're back. How are you guys doing? They actually played the U.S. tour with Hanson, and um, that, that included a stop at the Hollywood Bowl in California. That's crazy that they let the Baja Men into the Hollywood Bowl. Imagine that, Double Bill. This was before Who Let the Dogs Out, though, so you wouldn't have gotten both of those one in Wonders. Was it before Mbop 2, or was it after Mbop? That's a good question. What was it, 98, 99? Mbop was like 98. Mbop was 97, so ah, we were okay. living in a post-Mbop world. Okay, post-Mbop, pre-Who Let the Dogs Out. Yeah, what a bill. You probably would have just gone to see Hanson and just be like, oh, who are these guys? Oh man, you might have gotten an early version of Who Let the Dogs Out. Ah ha ha ha, speaking of early versions of Who Let the Dogs Out, I'm going to talk about that at length very soon. Mm. The band's second major level contract saw them releasing two albums through Mercury Records, and it uh, eventually ended with the sale of the Polygram Records group of labels to Seagram in 1998. We're running out of 90s, and these record labels are getting shut down, but... Things aren't looking too grim for our boys because uh, that A&R guy, Greenberg, Greenberg. Uh, he decided to start his own record label, S-Curve. And who did he decide to take along with him? But his best friends, the Baja Men. The Baja Men. <laughs> Although, like I said, things were kind of dark around this period. Uh, lead singer of the group and one of the founding members, uh, I, I have no idea how to pronounce this guy's name. Nehemiah Heald. That guy died after 20 years with the group. But uh, that failed to deter any of them. They just kept going. Uh, no, he didn't die. He just left. He didn't? I thought he died. <laughs> 
along for the ride, he's going to take his protege, the Baja Men, minus oh uh, their lead singer, whose name you can pronounce better than I can. Nehemiah Heald. Yeah, that guy. Uh, <laughs> founding member, left the group after 20 years because he just wasn't really feeling it anymore. Mm-hmm. He wanted to do a solo career. Oh, he wanted to do a solo career, yeah. yeah. Leave the group right before they have their giant big hit. I bet that guy felt great. And you know what actually is the funniest part of that? Um, so when he left, they actually replaced him with not one and not two, but three new singers. One of them, his nephew, Omerit. <laughs> what do you think it feels like to know that you need three people to replace you? <laughs> I don't think that they needed three people. I think it was just time to expand the bomb. And, and that brings me to this point. When it began in 1980... There were three Baja men. At this point in the story, with the three new members, there are currently nine Baja men. And I'll give you a little spoiler. Throughout this band's existence, there will be a total of 16 Baja men. That's a soccer team in like five subs. I'm starting to wonder if I might be a Baja man. They seem to be everywhere. Right! (laughs) So many people have been in the Baja men. All right. Discussion question. Um, Malcolm, if you're up to the challenge, you can do it too. But Trevor, I want to see how good you can do with this. You have 30 seconds. Form your dream nine-person band. Go. Metallica. That's four. (laughs) Kanye West. (laughs) Damon Albarn. That's six. Great. Uh, uh, John Worcester, I'm going to throw him in there because yeah, I think it'd be fun seconds. to have him in the band. Cool. And the Metallica drummer would hate that. Um, <laughs> give me, give me one of the guys from Sun. Okay. Five and, seconds. Uh, uh, Young Thug. <laughs> Perfect conclusion. Time. Great super group. That would be. <laughs> I think that'd be pretty tight. Get Brian Eno to produce. That would be, be fucking cool as shit. It'd be dope. Malcolm, do you want to have a go at this challenge? Literally, that entire time, I was trying to think of nine people, and I got <laughs> as far as now Rogers, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> much like the singer from Bahamian that departed and needed three people to replace him, Nile Rogers kind of is the equivalent of nine other people, isn't he? There you go. Like, I, I, I would pay top dollar to see a concert of just nine Nile Rogers on stage, just at the same time. I would do it in a heartbeat. Nile Rodgers and the Nile Rodgers band, supported by Nile Rodgers, opening act, Nile Rodgers. This whole thing with the guy that left and then was replaced by his nephew and three other people, isn't that kind of what happened in a sense with ACDC? And then they had their big, I mean, they had, not that they didn't have hits before, like they, they I went to hell. And then mm-hmm. I think their lead singer died. Like he yeah, actually Bon died. Scott. And then they replaced him with some other artists, and then they did Back in Black. Yeah, Back in Black came out like the year after he died. Yeah. And that's like one of the greatest selling albums ever. Speaking of success you can't see coming, let's talk about what went right with the Baja, man. What went right? Are you guys ready (laughs) for your brains to explode? Yes. Let's go for it. This song is a cover of a cover. Whoa. It is a double cover. This song, Who Let the Dogs Out, was originally written by a Trinidadian singer, Anselm Douglas, and it was called Doggy. And it was written for the Trinidad and Tobago carnival season of 1998, 
I'm going to play the original version of Who Let the Dogs Out for you guys right now. Please. please. This is by Anselm? Anselm Douglas. I think he's the villain in Kingdom Hearts. (laughs) (laughs) That's not surprising to me whatsoever. All right, here's Doggy by Anselm Douglas. Okay, I don't think this is the bad guy from Kingdom Hearts. It takes the whole time until the vocals come in, but then you really recognize it. I heard it, I recognized it a couple seconds in, actually. I, 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 every time I've listened to this, it's taken until the, the verse kicks. All right, this is Who Let the Dogs Out, definitely. Who Let the Dogs Out, version 1.0. Even so, this was not the version that Baha Men became familiar with the song through. It was then covered by producer Jonathan King, who uh, sang it under the name Fat Jack and His Pack of Pets. Uh, Fat Jack and His Pet Pack. Where are these names coming from? Now, we're going to listen to his version of Who Let the Dogs Out, the one that was played for the Baja Men whenever they were uh, asked to cover it. This version is fucking obnoxious. God, I never want to hear this song again. I get it. Get I get it. it. <laughs> I think we all get Please, it. make it stop. <laughs> Should I mention that, like, I don't like this song? I think this is the song, I think this is the first song for the show that we've covered that I don't like. Do you guys like this song? Like, do you enjoy hearing it when it's on? It's more of a nostalgic kind of Yes. Yes. What do you feel nostalgic for, though? Like, when I think about this, I think about being like a, like, like, a, I don't, I don't know. I don't have any particularly fond feelings attached to being like a little like 10 years old and like hearing this everywhere. I think I just think of like Rugrats in Paris. Yeah. So who do you think introduced this little, little known song at this point to our heroes? But, uh, you know, Greenberg from (laughs) (laughs) A&R. What a great character. He showed up, he showed up to the Bahamans place of residence, which I assume was, you know, one spot, the Bahaman headquarters. (laughs) He walked in with this tape saying, Hey, you guys need to cover this. You it's read perfect this for Dyson you. Dyson Knight. Sure, Dyson Knight, a member of the Bahamen, I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah, told, you would hope so. Told 
told Vice, I'm making like a jerk-off motion with my hand, (laughs) the manager of the Baja men at that time called Isaiah and told him it was an absolute must that Baja men record that song because they had the vibe to make it a huge hit. Isaiah heard the song and said there was no way in hell we're recording that. (laughs) Management had the vision and the Baja men were reluctant, but the group went on and recorded it anyway. A million records later. Who knew? Who could have known? Who knew? Who knew? Greenberg from A&R, that guy. (laughs) Give him some credit. Yo, Greenberg. Greenberg, like, found the Baja men, stuck with them for a decade while they didn't make any huge splashes. And then suddenly, 2000s, cover of a cover, bam, it sticks. That's wild (laughs) as fuck. Um, So now... uh, I'm going to talk about the music video real quick. In the music video, a parody of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire called Who Wants to Be a Zillionaire is depicted at the beginning. Nice. Contestant is given the zillion dollar question, who let the dogs out? The dogs in the video then escape from a police station. In other parts of the video, the dogs chase people around the same area in which the band is performing. So a very literal reading of what the song is about. Do we want to talk about what the Bahamian were actually saying here? Because, you know, there's some metaphorical shit going on here. Absolutely. But first I wanted to... Not just metaphorical either. I would argue some feminist stuff going on as well. Yeah, yeah. This is the first woke one-hit wonder. But very conflicting. We'll get into it. Okay, the first verse is, when the party was nice, the party was jumping, and everybody having a ball, I tell the fellas, start the name calling, and the girls respond to the call. I heard a woman shout out. So this guy, contrary to popular belief, it seems like he's on the side of the guys here. Yeah, he's he's encouraging the catcalling. Yeah, he's encouraging the catcalling. And in the second verse, he says he's going to tell himself not to get angry at any girls that are calling them dogs. And they tell him, hey, man, it's part of the party. You put a woman in front and her man behind. So definitely not the first woke one. (laughs) Yeah, no, not at all. And what is a doggy is nothing if he don't have a bone man? You're not a man unless you have a boner? (laughs) Yeah. Is that what, is that what they're saying here? Like you're, you know, you don't, you're not, you're not a man unless you have that kind of unrestricted sexual urge to dominate all on your path. God, I hope not. I hate this song. <laughs> I, 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 the more I'm digging into it, the less I like it. Because then there's that there's that weird bridge that no one can understand. That's actually him saying, "I see a little speedboat head up our coast. She really want to skip town, get back gruffy, back scruffy, get back flea infested mongrel." Like, what the fuck does that mean? It's amazing hearing you say these lyrics. I just read them, and then in my head, hearing. Just the contrast is amazing. Yeah, because it's like they're actual words. Like, I I went on YouTube and I was doing a lot of looking at the old Windows Movie Maker lyric videos for this one. And a lot of the lyrics that people had put in that that were not only wrong, they just literally, and sometimes just didn't even try and just put, like, brackets gibberish for, like, minutes of the (laughs) song. Um, Like, the whole... The secret rap verse that everyone forgets about at the end of the song because it's hidden about two minutes into it. It starts with, well, if I am a dog, the party is on. I got to get my groove because my mind done gone. That's Pitbull. Yeah, it's Pitbull. That's why they call me Pitbull. That's Pitbull. 
It's that's Pitbull. Not a lot of people know that, but this is where Pitbull started. Mr. Worldwide himself. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> to clarify, this is a different Pitbull. No, it's definitely the same Pitbull. <laughs> <laughs> but the whole second half of this rap verse is about him wearing his white short shorts. That's why. Told you, it's definitely Pitbull. <laughs> I'm going to read this. Me and my white short shorts, and I can't see color. Any color will do. I'll stick on you. That's why they call me Pitbull, because I'm the man of the land. When they see me, they say, woo. Three things I know about Pitbull. One, he loves wearing white short shorts. <laughs> Two, he's colorblind. And three, when people see him, they say, woo. <laughs> Confirmed, Mr. Worldwide is an ex-Baha man, or perhaps a current Baha man? Once you're in, you're in for life. <laughs> except for that first guy. Yeah, except for the guy who got replaced by his nephew. And two other people. So, the song became incredibly successful immediately in Europe and Oceania, reaching the top spot in Australia and New Zealand, number two in the UK and Ireland, top five in Sweden, Norway, and the Netherlands, top 10 in Germany, Switzerland, Denmark, and Belgium, and it also reached number eight in Brazil. Despite this, however, its success initially did not translate to the United States, where it only peaked on the Billboard 100 at number 40. Just barely a one-hit wonder by my standards. Literally just scraping the bottom. And then came the Rugrats movie. Rugrats in Paris. That's right, this song was featured in Rugrats in Paris, the movie. I might note a movie with a soundtrack by the brains behind another one-hit wonder, Mark Mothersbaugh from Devo. <laughs> yeah, he did the entire soundtrack for Rugrats, I think. He did the theme song. Yep. He has recorded a lot of great soundtracks for yep. Wes Anderson. I actually yep. prefer his soundtrack work to his work in Devo. Wow, yeah. I didn't know that at all. Thanks to Rugrats, this song really took off. Thanks to Rugrats and Mark Mothersbaugh. I don't know if Rugrats is that important, but yeah, maybe we can chalk up the success of the Bahamen at large to Mark Mothersbaugh. I think the biggest reason the song became the like cultural force that it that it did is because of its prominence at sports games. Yeah. Something I will get into right now. It became a ubiquitous sports anthem at stadiums and arenas throughout the world based largely on the effects of a sports marketing company hired by the song's producer, who the fuck else but Greenberg from A&R. Fucking Greenberg from Fucking A&R. Always, Greenberg. Always, always pulling the strings from behind the scenes. Dude, Greenberg from A&R has done a lot for the Baja Men. Let's, let's just go ahead and make that public knowledge right now. In June 2000, Greg Green then the director of the promotions for the Seattle Mariners, was the first to play the Baja Men's version of Who Let the Dogs Out at an MLB game. He debuted the tune as a joke for the team's backup catcher, Joe Oliver. Two days later, shortstop Alex Rodriguez requested the song be used as his walk-up music, and it quickly became the Mariners' team anthem. Bahamut actually performed at Safeco Field during a Mariners game in September of 2000. I cannot imagine being a grown man and hearing this song <laughs> and thinking, fuck, I want that to be my theme song. I want that to be the theme song for the entire 
professional baseball team in the playoffs. About two thousand, Trevor. I I'm not getting it. Not getting it. Maybe I don't understand how this song was a hit. I don't really either. It just yeah, like everyone just kind of. That's what I was saying. It just happened. It really did just. It was like happen. we entered a short fugue state or something, where like we allowed this <laughs> to become the most popular song in the world. But but yet it only peaked at number forty on the Billboard, so it wasn't like necessarily on the radio all the time. It sure felt like it. The New York Mets, however, have claimed they were the first MLB team to adopt the song. To which ESPN.com humorously commented, this is a little like scientists arguing over who discovered a deadly virus. Seriously. (laughs) The Bahamut eventually recorded a version of the song that changed the chorus to who let the Mets out. That's so dumb. (laughs) All the lyrics to reflect the team and its players. They were milking it, Trevor. They were milking it for every fucking penny they could. Do you blame them? It fits because look at the teams that did it. It's not like it's like the Yankees when it made this right. song. It was the Mariners and the Mets. <laughs> and they sure. both pretty much deserve the things that happened. To them. <laughs> so the song peaked at number two on the UK singles chart and uh, mm-hmm. it topped the charts in Australia and New Zealand. It was Britain's fourth biggest selling single of 2000. And then it went on to become one of the highest selling singles of the decade not to reach number one. The track did go on to win the Grammy for Best Dance Recording on the 2001 Grammy Awards, though. They gave Bob a Grammy! You have a Grammy? I want a Grammy. I don't have a Grammy either. I need a I don't Grammy. Grammy. What the I'd fuck? I really like a Grammy. I would like, yay. Bahaman has a Grammy. Greg Alexander has a Grammy. Hit Wonders of the World at gmail.com. Email us a Grammy. Come on. One Hit Wonders of the World for your <laughs> Grammy consideration. Best <laughs> <This> podcast. <laughs> On a United States promotional tour, the group appeared on Live with Regis and Kathy Lee and participated in the Central Park Summer Stage Program in New York City. And their initial tour was followed by a concert tour in the fall of 2000. And after that, they were scheduled as the opening act for a tour for NSYNC. And Nickelodeon made a special program about the band. Unfortunately, thus ends the glory days of the Baja Men. And now it is time to get into... (laughs) To quote our friend from last week, Greg Alexander, get ready for the lawsuit, baby. Baja Men were sued in 2000 during the peak popularity of Who Let the Dogs Out by who else but Anselm Douglas, who they did not credit on their original release. Boys. No, no, no. Leave them out of this. It's 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 Greenberg from A&R's fault. 100%. That's fucking Greenberg. It's, it's Greenberg from A&R's fault and pending this right on him. He was trying to get around paying the cover fees. Nope. Didn't expect this would be a huge worldwide hit. Come on, Greenberg. You can't trust these label guys, man. I'm telling you. Greenberg is just dropping the fucking ball over here. You, you did great for the last 10 years, but then dropped the ball at the critical moment. Come on, man. Can you imagine Anson just hearing this song, like, like just out and about, like, and it's just playing on a TV somewhere in, like, a grocery store, and he's just like, what the hell? I, I'm not getting any money for this, am I? Let me call my lawyers. And power to you, Anson. I believe it was a short case because, I mean, it, the writers have been corrected on pretty much everywhere I look at it now as just Anselm Douglas. The Bahamut are not credited as writers in the track at all. Do you think he faced a dilemma about coming forward? Because I would. You know, do you really want people to know that you're the one who wrote this song? 
Hell yeah, dude! You can get all that money. That's, I guess that's all it is. I about. guess it's worth it. That is you, like that. That record was their only record to go platinum in the U.S. Sold a million copies. If you had the opportunity to get a piece of that action and were left out of it. I definitely would be would be calling my people if that were me. So it was their only hit, but they did release a follow-up record in 2002, Move Ooh, It Like, like this. this. Although that only peaked at 57 on the Billboard Top 100, despite tracks from it being featured in classic early 2000s <laughs> children films like Shrek and Big Fat Liar with Buffy. Frankie Muniz. And, and Paul Giamatti. And Amanda Bynes, I think, right? Yes, and Amanda it Bynes. It was Amanda yeah, Bynes. So then again in uh, 2004, they released an album called Holla, which um, <laughs> tracks from which were featured in the Garfield movie with Bill Murray and Dead or Alive Extreme 2. They really had the soundtrack game on lock. I'm sure that was Greenberg's doing almost 100%. They were like, how can we move records without actually moving records? You know, <laughs> hit it from the soundtrack angle. Some bands can only be successful when people listen to them accidentally. <laughs> okay. Here's the thing, though. I very, very clearly remember um, the lead single from Hala uh, in its inclusion in the Garfield movie. So after that, the Bahamans decided to take um, a little um, 11-year break. I say they earned it. Sometimes you just got to stretch out. But after that, they released 2015's Ride With Me on a new record label. What happened to Greenberg? I don't have a story on what happened to Greenberg, but I have a quote from Isaiah Taylor where he talks about uh, the revolving door cast that is the Bahamen. He talks about how O'Merritt, the nephew of Nehemiah, the original singer, how he left the band. And in this quote, I think that they're already referring to Greenberg as their old manager. So whenever this interview was from, they had already cut ties with him. Yeah, Isaiah said... We've had a lot of people come and go. One time, when the group was heading to London or someplace, former member Omerit Heald looked at his ticket and became hysterical. We asked him what was wrong, and he said, this isn't a first-class ticket. He went to management and made a huge thing about it, and he said, I can't fly first class, so I'm not going. He didn't go, and that was the last time he was part of the band. (laughs) Graceful exit. Love that. And then in 2007, uh... There was a poll conducted by the Rolling Stone. Uh, the Rolling Stones, they conducted the poll. <laughs> uh, the Rolling Stones So yeah, magazine. the Rolling Stones, uh, no, it was the Rolling Stones, the band. They conducted a poll in 2007 to identify the 20 most annoying songs. And who let the dogs out? Where do you think it ranked? Fifth. Third. Ah, uh, it was close. Third. It was close. You were close. Uh, we were both looking at the notes. You should have gotten that one. What was first? Oh, um, God. The answer will shock you. There's so many choices. You know what? No, no. Speaking of Radio Disney, at the time that this song was out, they they played this song all the time. Like, it's like a hamster sounding song. And oh, the hamster dance, dance song! Yeah. Yeah, the hamster dance. That's up there. Crazy Frog has got to be up there, too. Definitely, right? None of you guys guessed it. Number one on the Rolling Stones list is Black Eyed Peas, My Humps. Doesn't surprise me, actually. Pretty I might have gone like, yeah, I guess that is the most annoying Black Eyed Peas song. It's probably one of the most annoying songs I can yeah. think of, actually. 
I got a feeling it's got to be up there too, though, right? Oh, God. I think this list predates I Got a Feeling. The Rolling Stones are pretty old. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're wondering what number two is, why don't you just take a guess? It's, it's, it's the one you think it is. That's all I'll tell you. No, I don't know what that is. Yeah. What is it? It's the Macarena. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. let's talk about what came next for the Baja Man. The song led one man from Brooklyn to spend the last seven years researching the history behind the track. This man is Ben Sisto, an employee at the Ace Hotel in New York, and the world's leading expert on who let the dogs out. In addition to his research, which he aptly titled, Who Let Who Let the Dogs Out Out, <laughs> Sisto has obtained a collection of over 250 Who Let the Dogs Out related items over the past few years, leading him to create the museum of Who Let the Dogs Out. I cannot think of another song that has a museum devoted to it also if you're in boston or los angeles you can go and see ben sisto talk about who let the dogs out on wednesday april 11th at 7 p.m in boston and may 1st at the ace hotel in downtown los angeles at 7 p.m both of these are free and open to the public I'm there. I got to go to this. I got to go to this. I got to go do a live episode. I got to do some live on the scene reporting for the show. Oh my God. That would be wonderful. We should, we should try and get this guy. I bet he would come on the show and talk about who let the dogs out. Hell yeah, he would. I'm sad that we didn't already reach out to him, but definitely something I want to do. I really want to talk to him about this. But since he's not here, I'll read a quote you pasted into our notes document. That'll almost be as good. Perfect. It's a long one. About seven years ago, I was between jobs, and I was spending a lot of time at the library just looking around at, I don't know, the internet for things like jobs, projects, stuff to do, whatever. And I clicked on some article that was about who let the dogs out, because it was like the 10-year anniversary of the song then. And I think from that article, I was like, oh, I wonder what Wikipedia has to say about this song. Wikipedia and then I went to the Wikipedia dangerous. Page. I noticed there was this missing citation right at the top. It said the song was recorded off this float by a hairdresser named Keith, but it didn't have a last name and it didn't have a citation. Wait, what is that? What the fuck is that? What the fuck is that? Recorded off a float by a hairdresser named Keith? I, that wasn't in my notes. That was none of the Wikipedia pages I read. None of the interviews I found. What the fuck is that? Right? Keep going, though. So I knew of Wikipedia and open culture knowledge sharing type websites, and I thought that'd be a funny thing if I fixed that citation. I could tell some of my friends like, oh, I just fixed the wiki for who let the dogs out. But what kind of happened was when I tracked down this guy, Keith, which was a little harder than I thought it would be, he ended up being a really, really cool guy. And he had all these other stories about having been the hairstylist for Roxy Music and being really into steel drum music. And I just had a really good conversation with him. So I kind of thought, oh, maybe there's more here. And he said one or two things that, I guess, raised other questions. And I didn't intend for it to become a project, you know? I just kept saying, if A, then B. Let me just keep asking questions. I think there was just a tipping point where I was like, oh, I think I might know more about this song, and it's kind of a weird history than, like, anybody. So I kind of just went with it as a hobby. That is one hell of a Wikipedia hole you've dug yourself into, Ben. (laughs) The quote continues, The song's producer, or one of the song's producer, Steve Greenberg, Greenberg from A&R, <laughs> who worked with Baja Men, I think he would agree with that. He's also responsible for the band Hanson and Mbop. Aha! You didn't tell us that when you introduced us to this character. Aha! So he <laughs> and some other people involved in the song's history, I think, are sort of proud that they have this ear for 
jock jams, pop hits, things that are novelty but still have, I don't know. And then the interviewer says, monetary value? And then Ben says, well, that. But I think for the people who made it, there's an amount of integrity involved. They're all people that are very aware of marketing and mass culture and like pop. And I love that quote because that's what I think this show is about. I think this show is about that, like, in a sentence, I think that's what this show is about. I think it's about, like, marketing, mass culture, pop music, collective consciousness. I like it's, it's, I feel like what those people are proud of and what those people aim to accomplish with their songs is what we aim to analyze on this show. That's all well and good, but I'm, Max, how does this story end? I mean, we've been on a very long crazy winding journey of a road yes we have we still haven't answered this question this fundamental question that we came here today to discuss who let the dogs out do we know the world may never know i have an interview tidbit <laughs> for you my friend i thought you were gonna say you did it i, I thought that was, that's what i thought you were gonna say too <laughs> that would have been a crazy <laughs> twist <laughs> and i started this one who wonders of the world podcast to reveal it to the world that would have been great, but I cannot lie to our listeners. I will say that one time when I was on late night deliveries in San Diego, I saw uh, at 4 a.m. with nobody else in the fucking world beside me, I saw this huge sign for a hotel, um, and all it said on the marquee was, it was me. I let the dogs out. He was there. He's in San Diego if you want to go find him. I'm sure it's still up. I got to post a picture of that to our Twitter. I laughed my fucking ass off at that. Here's an interview tidbit for you. Isaiah himself is about to tell you. The interviewer asks, all right, it's haunted me for 14 years. Who exactly let the dogs out? And Isaiah says... And Isaiah's answer? I'm not allowed to say. The feds are after us. We have to keep it quiet. There's your answer! What... Yep. There's your answer. That's not an answer at all. There's your answer. Isaiah. There's your answer. He's just being coy. Clearly he let the dogs out. No, I'm starting to think let the dogs out. Know who I think, after after this long discussion we've had, know who I think all signs point to? What? Being the one who let the dogs out? What? Fucking, fucking Greenberg from A&R. <laughs> I think he might have been the guy who did it. I think Greenberg let the dogs out for sure. He was definitely the guy who let the Baja men out. <laughs> Absolutely. For damn and sure. I guess we're not done with him because we're going to talk about him again when we eventually get to Hanson and Mbop. Yeah, we are. But I have a postscript for us. The Baja Men actually released a new song last week on February 7th. Oh my God. Thank God we did not do this episode until this week. Everything happens for a reason. Everything does happen for a reason. It's time to listen to the brand new Baja Men song, Bumpa. World premiere. World premiere. Another world premiere. All right, here we go. Yeah, it's gonna be a no from me, dog. 
I count nine people on this cover. Seems like there's nine Baja men again. I can't say I'm a fan of this. At least there are trap drums, so we know it's 2018. I'd really like to stop listening to it now. <laughs> Thanks. Bumpa by the Baja Men, now available everywhere. That is the end of the saga of Who Let the Dogs Out. And now I'm going to play one cover in one alternate version of this song, just to be completists here. First, I'm going to play you the Barking Mad mix of Who Let the Dogs Out. Apparently an alternate version that many people know as the original version of Who Let the Dogs Out. I really don't want to listen to this. I like this one considerably less. Who let the dogs out? Not good. So it's supposed to be some kind of big, joyous, cathartic experience or something? Kind of. Like a like a Balearic version. That's what I get from that. That's what I get from those synths. And they auto-tuned him. Oh, and they put in... I don't know. Did you just hear that? They just did the... From the beginning of uh, Blue Daba yeah. D by Eiffel 65. That's, that's hidden in here. <laughs> All right, what else What else do you got? My God. Anyway, there's the other version of Who Let the Dogs Out. Now is our only cover of Who Let the Dogs Out. That literally um, sounds like, like the background music from, like, Super Monkey Ball. <laughs> yeah, it is very, very early 2000s video games is, is the vibe I get from it, too. So here's another cover by um, an artist named Deli Man. This is Who Let the Dogs Out House Remix. So this is a cover of a cover of a cover. This is a cover of a cover of a cover. And the first 30 seconds are actually, like, hot as fuck. Who let the dogs out? Who? Is that when it gets bad? I can deal with the drums. I like the drums. But now it's bad. <laughs> I won't argue with you. <laughs> House Remix. And that, my friends, is the last time we will have to listen to any version of Who Let the Dogs Out for this podcast. That's it. We're done now. We've made it through the Who Let the Dogs Out portal. We're out on the other side now. This song being as, you know, prevailingly ubiquitous as it is, though, I'll probably hear it again later this week somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Almost certainly. Just because that's how the world turns. Amen. Amen to that. But now it's time for the outro to the episode where Trevor and I create attributes for the songs that we listen to. 
and we rate the attributes on any scale that we want, but it has to be the same scale per episode. Um, do you want to go first, Trevor, or do you want me to go first like usual? I only have a binary scale this okay. week, and I only have two things to award to, and one of them doesn't really <laughs> hold up anymore based on our conversation. Uh-huh. I was the scale was the scale was going to be a binary. It was going to be either you get a good boy or a bad guy. <laughs> And I was going to say, uh, writing a song that, you know, compares catcalling and, you know, that kind of toxic masculinity to being, being an animal, being a dog. Good boy. But apparently that's not what this nope. is. We were mistaken. We, we've, not only were we mistaken, everyone was mistaken. Everyone that like made that was like, oh, this is secretly a feminist. And I'm like, no, you just listened to it wrong. You and me and everyone else. So what's your other one? I was going to give everything else a bad dog. So I'm afraid I just need to give everything now a, a bad dog. Bad dog. Uh, my attributes are slightly more forgiving. On a scale of number of dogs freed from one dog to 100 dogs, I give the aggressively 90s production 65 free dogs. The plucked outro guitar, 91 dogs. If you had asked me if there was a guitar in this song with a gun to my head, I would have told you no. I have no idea what part of the song you're referring to. <laughs> the very fucking end. There is like a, a, like a little acoustic guitar arpeggio oh, yeah, yeah. that happens. I think by the time I get there, I must be like disassociating or something. <laughs> Just pretending that I'm listening to something or anything else. <laughs> I feel you. I think nobody actually knows the rap part because much like the horrors encountered in the works of H.P. Lovecraft, it's just incomprehensible to the human mind. Like, it's (laughs) that out there. (laughs) Like, it's there, but when we look at it or when we hear it, we just hear, like, static. (laughs) It's not meant for human ears. And thusly, I, I award sneaking the lyric, me and my white short shorts, into an 11th hour third verse rap. 78 freed dogs. And finally... Way to go, Pitbull. <laughs> finally, I give the classic, high-flying, scream-your-head-off hook. 101 dogs freed. Dalmatians optional. Thank you, everyone, for listening to episode 5 of One Hit Wonders of the World. I can't believe you came back after all this time. Thank you. I appreciate you. You're still with us. You're still with us. You're still hanging with us. Malcolm, Super Chunk, thank you for coming. We're very happy to have you on this episode. You were a wonderful guest. We had some great talks. Come back anytime, please. You can um, find us on social media, on Twitter, at OneHitWonderCast, with the numeral one out front. Yes. And uh, you can also reach out with all your impassioned emails or audio recordings, like the one we heard at the beginning of the show, thank yes. you again, Michael, to onehitwondercast at gmail.com. And onehitwondercast is all spelled out. So, yes. you know, O-N-E, hitwondercast. Et cetera. At gmail. And, and uh, definitely reach out if you're going to be passionate about next week or next time's episode, Rapper's Delight by the Sugar Hill Gang, a number 36 hit from 1980. This should be a fun episode. We'll see how things pan out. Uh, We'll see how scheduling goes. And uh, most importantly, we hope to see you next time here on One Hit Wonders of the World. 
But until then, I've been Max and Stenstrom. I've been Trevor Ickraft. And I'm, I guess I've been Malcolm. Or I can be the a and dude. <laughs> and until next week. Stay wonderful. I said a hip hop, the hip it, the hip it, the hip, hip hop, you don't stop the rocket to the bang, man, boogie, say up, jump the boogie to the rhythm of the boogie to beat. Now what you hear is not a test, I'm rapping to the beat. And me, the groove, and my friends are gonna try to move your feet. You see, I'm